Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. You know, boys and girls, as we sit here on the brink of the TIFF sanity, it would behoove me to remind you that if you are within the sound of my voice, that must mean you are in the seats with once more. As always, my name is Dave Voigt, and I'm the host of this podcast, where I sit down with a wide-ranging variety of entertainment industry professionals, and we pick their brain about current projects, state of the industry, how they got started, and so very much more in a light and in a conversational fashion. And you know, if you like how we do things around here, I'm going to go on a limb and assume that you do. Uh, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Gives you a five-star rating on your podcast provider of choice. We're available pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google. And plus, we archive all of our episodes over at our In the Seat YouTube channel. So please do us that kindness and give us a like and subscribe there as well. Also, don't hesitate to check us out on social media. We're on the Facebook. We're on the Twitter. We're on the Instagram. We're on the Letterboxd. We're on the TikTok. And, well, hell, we're probably a few other places, too. At where else? At In the Seats. For all sorts of fun updates. And finally... And I do dare say, most importantly, please pay us a visit over at In The Seats, intheseats.ca, for all the latest and greatest from the world of film, television, basically the moving image at large. Because guess what? If we watch it and write about it and talk about it, we love it even more when you come by and read about it and listen about it. So do us that kindness and pay us a visit. Boys and girls, I don't have much to say leading up to this one. We are in the, on the brink of the Toronto International Film Festival. It is TIFF 2023, and we are going to break it down uh, high above the streets of Toronto, thanks to our friends from Elevation Pictures, with uh, three colleagues, three friends, three of the smartest guys I've ever had the chance to sit in front of a microphone with. So, enough of my yammering. If you're heading out to TIFF this coming September uh, 7th through the 17th here in the city of Toronto, uh, listen to this podcast, check it out, and uh, enjoy, and we'll see you, uh, well, we'll see you at the movies. It is like swimming in the deep end when you have, when you have the full list in yeah. front of you. Yeah. And speaking of the deep end, we're out in the, the wild blue yonder, in case you can't tell by the sound of my voice, but we're here talking about the upcoming edition of the Toronto International Film Festival. What is it, guys? Number 48? 48. 48. 48. Wow. 50's coming up soon. Oh, my God. Tiff's getting old. The judge, too. (laughs) Tiff is getting old, but, I mean, we love it. So we're here to talk about movies galore and all that other stuff. But as always, you know me as Dave Voigt, the host and venerable voice of this podcast. But uh, before we get started, I do have to introduce our guests and our panel. And uh, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to use some mildly uh, outdated wrestling references to... To introduce our panel, if only because it will amuse me and amuse my guests. But first off, I would like to remind everyone uh, that this podcast is officially sponsored by the Elevation Pictures release of Golda, starring Helen Mirren as the story of Golda Meir and uh, her uh, turbulent term and rise as Israeli Prime Minister. It is in theaters now, but uh, let's get down to business. And uh, as the quote-unquote wise man of these proceedings. First off, I have to uh, uh, introduce someone who, well, needs to be acknowledged. He is uh, the reigning undisputed host of Cinema Scene uh, for more years than I could possibly count. And he's also one half of the dynamic duo of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Stand up, acknowledge him. He is Mr. Eric Marchin. Eric, how are you doing today, brother? Dave, I'm doing well. I'm hoping to uh, perform a heel turn. 
director. Oh, <laughs> this show, Our so. cinema chief. Yes. Thanks for having me. Well, every tribal chief needs a right-hand man, and as we said before, this man, uh, you know, he said he would use one half of the Untitled Movie Podcast. We have the other half of the Untitled Movie Podcast here. He is the right-hand man. He is main event, Matt Warbeck. How you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good, brother, man. Thanks for the time. And just Can I ask you a question? Shoot. How, how did you afford both of us? I, I, you know, I thought you were a package deal. So, I mean, well, that doesn't work like that. Oh, I'm getting a separate bill? Yeah. All right. It kept cost low by bringing me in. <laughs> <laughs> it even out. Well, and, and that last voice you heard, man, he was, uh, well, some could call him honorary, but now I dare say he is full-blown Uzi. He is our friend. He is uh, the venerable host and uh, moderator over at Screenfish and Screenfish Radio. Mr. Steve Norton. Hey, dude. Hey, hey you doing, man? thank you so much, Dave. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And you made me Sami Zayn? I did. <laughs> and Eric has no idea what we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> no, he yeah, You know, you've seen a Royal Rumble or two, you know. I love Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Eddie> <laughs> disease. Like those current guys that are right in the oh, game. Yeah. Roddy, you know. Roddy, all Roddy, Roddy Piper. All my favorites, yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know, I mean, we, uh, with TIFF coming up from September 7th through 17th, the vibe is going to be a little different as we are sitting here in the patio space with our friends of Elevation Pictures, high above the streets of Toronto, sort of in the wild getting ready for TIFF. But it's not going to quite have the shine that it usually does because we are in the midst of a pretty... Uh, uh, tumultuous actor strike and writer strike that's going on right now, which means we're not going to get nearly as many stars or any talent uh, coming to the festival this year. It looks like so far as of this taping. I mean, just initial reaction from all of you guys. Just how do you think this edition of TIFF is looking? I mean, I'll kick it off. I think it's starting with that is is interesting because everything TIFF has said is that hasn't affected the festival at all, which I find it kind of hard to believe, right? Especially when you look up the, I don't want to start on like a super negative note, but like but you look will. at the, I will. the lineups of Venice and the New York Film Festival, which has added even more films today. Um, I kind of find that hard to believe that it didn't affect the lineup, but then I'm kind of contradicting myself because then why didn't that affect the lineup of other festivals so as a whole like i'm still excited for the festival but i feel like it's missing those you know and i'm i'm the blockbuster the big guy of us too where i like those big glitzy glamorous kind of big premieres and i feel like we're missing a bunch of those this year however and we did this on our own show which you guys can check out too but like it, it does lean into okay maybe that lens for more discovery this year or more kind of sleeper hits and things like that so i'm hoping that Maybe I'm less excited as a whole, but then I hope that lends to seeing some films that I'm like, oh, okay, I'll fit this into my schedule. It sounds interesting from the description or something like that. Um, and then I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. So I don't know. I'm kind of mixed mixed negative maybe on the fest this year. We're going in a little trepidatious. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, all right. So I don't know. It's like going to Oshawa. You know, <laughs> be prepared to be amazed, you know, and that's, that's the way to, to go you down that road. I, I mean, ultimately, obviously, pay your writers, um, studios, and pay your actors, yeah, and support the creatives that make the work and the art that we love and that we can enjoy, you know, year after year, day after day, and that we consume and is a part of our lives, and that uh, is, I think, some of the most important aspects of who we are as both journalists, interviewers, reporters, critics, but just as people as well, and, and I think like, that's something that 
you can see it and how the festival is operating this year. And there are, to go off of that, there are a lot of movies that are very much, you know, curiosities or, or exciting in one way or another. But coming after a year um, where Steven Spielberg brought the Fablemans and, you know, coming out of a pandemic where there was a virtual component and being back in the public communal experience of going to the movies there is something that is lacking but having said that I do think that The Boy and the Heron is maybe one of the best opening movies Tiff has ever had that I know I agree with you on that Steve what do you think because I mean having The Boy and the Heron opening I mean that's a good movie to really start on because it is the opening night film I mean it is the first foreign film if I'm not mistaken it's the first animated film if I'm not mistaken to open the festival and it's also the first film, again, if I'm not mistaken, to already be open in another in another country. It's already playing in oh, the state of Japan. Oh, yeah. Already, yeah. yeah. Without a lot of advertising as well, which is very unusual for any movie, whether it be international or national in terms of marketing. No, for sure. And it being Studio Ghibli and I mean, this, this master of cinema's last film, it's definitely a, a, an interesting transition. I mean, Steve, what do you think as, as, as someone going into this seeing a gala opening that's not necessarily going to have a red carpet you know I've been thinking about this a lot one of the things I think about this year that actually has me excited about it I like the word surprise that you said before because I think that that's anything this year we're not going to be told what's good before we get there that's right and, and every year we get there and there's a red carpet and there's there's hype because all these people are coming to town I actually think maybe this year the emphasis is really going to be on stories more than other years, or at least in recent years. And that's, that's not a criticism of the previous festivals. It's just the fact that all we've got are the stories. Like in the pandemic, we didn't have any of this. And they were doing the virtual festival. It was just straight up virtual. It was The focus is on the stories that they want to tell. But, I mean, the reality is, with these ones, there is less hype. But I don't think that means it's going to be a bad festival. I just think it means, what I do think is going to be, because it's less hype, it's going to be interesting to see how it interact is, interacts with the regular public. You know, so like on a regular festival weekend, the streets are absolutely teeming with people who are trying to get a snapshot of, of their, their favorite celebrity. I don't know a lot of people are going to, and this is not a comment about him, but are people going to be standing outside to get a shot of Heo Miyazaki? Uh, on their cell phone. He's not even coming. He's in his 90s. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> so they're not going to get that anyway. But I, I think that that, I think for the festival perspective, I think that's not bad. It just puts an emphasis on the films that we're going to get as opposed to the hype. No, it allows for uh, uh, the stories to, to go first and foremost, which again, I mean, which really speaks to the core spirit of TIFF. Because I mean, I think we can definitely agree in past years, they're like, the celebrity aspect of it has maybe sort of drowned out some of the, the fantastic films and storytelling that have come out of past editions of the festival. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think low expectations always leads to being pleasantly surprised, which I think can be a good thing, yeah. too, where in other years I go, Spielberg's coming, Glass Onion's here, like, yeah. what a great, like, all these big movies, where then you go, and a lot of times in previous years I go with all this hype, and then you go, that was okay, or, like, the movie was alright, I enjoyed it, or something like that, so I'm hoping the opposite effect, where I go in this year going, I don't know if I'm that excited for a bunch of stuff, and then I go, oh, 
this is amazing or go see this movie and then when it comes to the what you said about the public i thought the exact same thing where this is a public film festival yeah, where yeah. It, it where many are for media only or, or a mix of, or, or for the elite in certain places and stuff like that cough but, cough tell you right yeah, cough, yeah, cough. Yeah. <laughs> so i think this being the people's festival what it used to be called too is like I will be interested to see if that excitement... I still think it will be there. Um, I still think people like going to a movie at Princess of Wales or, or Roy Thompson Hall or something like that. Midnight Madness. Uh, Midnight, Madness Midnight Madness is always the best, and I think that passionate fan base, I think they brought back the Midnight Madness package this year too, yeah. which I'm glad that they did for those, uh, those people who just love going to that program. So I still think the excitement will be there, and I feel like we're sometimes in our film bubble where um, I'm always interested to see what the public feels, right? And if they just like going to tip. And a lot of times, even those bigger movies, do they even know much about them? Or we think they do because we know that it's Spielberg or whatever. Like, my mom went to tip for the first time last year. And, um, and I brought her to the Fablemans and My Policeman. And my Policeman, because you just try to find... She knows nothing about probably either movie. She knows who Steven Spielberg is, but wouldn't yeah. have known that he had a movie at the festival unless I told her. So I feel like maybe this year a lot of them are comp tickets through businesses and things like that, and maybe it'll lead to that discovery aspect. So, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and, and I do think Miyazaki has enough uh, of an audience audience internationally. Oh, Ghibli. Sure. Yeah, Studio yeah, Ghibli yeah. because of, of, you know, a lot of kids grew up in the 80s and 90s with it, but even now they're being reintroduced to it. Even... You know, uh, as we're talking, Cineplex and certain movie theaters are re-showing certain films of, of his. So, yeah. um, I think that aspect is just exciting as well, where you have somebody who's this great auteur filmmaker who, you know, is letting the work speak for itself. Yeah. And that's always exciting, you know, like him and uh, Terrence Malick and, and those kind of guys. Like, they just, you know, release the movies and see how it does, and you can kind of project on it the way that you want to and interpret it the way that you do and, and not necessarily hear how others influence maybe your opinion on something or how you're being told what to think about it before it comes out because even the, 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 the Japanese press you know towards the film has been quite muted overall yeah. so it's kind of surprising that way now I mean just on that note it's I think it's time we should probably dive into sort of the galas and the special presentations which again is what the mass audiences tend to do look at and I mean on one end there are some pretty interesting uh, filmmakers that are that are part of it, like Craig Gillespie, like Richard Linklater, like Alexander Payne. Yeah, they have absolutely. movies coming up, and also the trend of actors who are oh, yeah. directing, which does seem it's to be a little bit of a theme yeah. with uh, with people like Anna Kendrick and, and Michael Keaton and Ethan Hawke having their own movies that they directed coming to Chris up. Pine. Chris, Chris Pine, Pine yeah. yeah, the pool man himself. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> having having films that they directed come to the festival, and I mean, just out of that sort of initial high-profile bash like is there anything you guys are anticipating or looking forward to is it just in in terms of the programs or from um, actors turned directors a little bit of both but i mean like more like let's focus like well, on like galas cool, and like special presentation kind of stuff i mean the best hollywood chris like i am excited for cool man <laughs> i think you already mentioned the link later i think that's up there like link later is yeah. one of those guys that's hit or miss for me personally but um i love glenn powell i loved Everybody Wants Some. I thought Glenn Powell was fantastic in that movie and in Top Gun Maverick. Um, so I'm really looking forward to Hitman and having Glenn Powell like be the lead and, and see if he can kind of handle that, I think will be really, really awesome. Um, 
So I think that's one from you know those heavy hitters that I'm very excited about um, to throw out there. Yeah, we should also mention quickly about Poolman. I, I know we're joking <laughs> about it a lot, but it, it's it's uh, screening at 35 millimeter, which I find is it? fascinating. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so. Cool. Uh, Chris Pine, a tour filmmaker. Um, <laughs> the next Bradley Cooper. Yes, exactly. I uh, can't wait for Maestro 2. Um, I would say the zone of interest is the one that oh, yeah. I'm um, most interested in. I don't want to use the word excited because I don't think that's the, the appropriate word to use. Played a can. Uh, did quite well. Jonathan Glazer is one of those filmmakers that takes his time when it comes to finding the narrative structure of his movies. This is based on loosely based on Martin Amos's novel yeah. um, of the same name. Uh, the author passed away actually a couple of days after the Cannes premiere. And what you have is a story about a Nazi family living an idyllic lifestyle outside of a concentration camp and pretending like nothing is going on or apathetic to the world around them. Um, Glazer is a very austere, cold, and calculated filmmaker, and you look at his past works like Under the Skin, Birth, and Sexy Beast, and in addition to his music videos and his his ads, um, and he's got such a, a unique style that has influenced and shaped the last two decades worth of cinema, and and you know only a few films. And his movies, specifically images in his films, linger with you. I think the, the shot of uh, an abandoned baby on a beach as the tide comes pouring in and under the skin is an image that haunts you even if you don't like the movie long afterwards and it kind of sticks in your brain and you try to purge yourself of it but you can't so I can only imagine what this is going to be like and having you know a cinematographer who has also worked with Paul Pelikovsky and also recently shot I'm Thinking of Ending Things only yeah. adds to you know the cinematic experience of what this is going to be no absolutely I mean I absolutely concur on that but I mean there's also two other filmmakers in this pack that I, I kind of want to bring up because at least in, in the back of my mind they feel like they're going to be sort of built in to be sort of the people's choice the audience award winners and that's Taika Waititi coming in with the wins <laughs> but also uh, John Carney and, and Flora and Son uh, who mm-hmm. does have a track record of making movies that will please the masses and I mean, I'm just kind of curious will it be harder to find the crowd pleasers or do you think people are going to be up to sort of doing a little bit of digging because I mean Taika on Taika obviously is at a different level, but I mean, when people think of Once or beginning like movie like Once, they don't necessarily think of John Carney, but he has made movies like that. So I mean, I'm kind of curious. He's made the same film over and over. Well, again. there lies the rub. But yeah, <laughs> are are there ones that you think, especially in this grouping, that may sort of surprise people, just based on what we know from sort of the inside looking out, from like. A perspective of like audience, yeah, like audience, or, like audience, audience like ones that will pick up the buzz, kind of thing. As people are attending the festival, those two were really good choices. Yeah. I think, like you know, the track records and and the types of films that both filmmakers are prone to making. Um, I do feel there's a little bit, and maybe this is again inside of our bubble, um, a, a little bit of um, backlash or sort of. Uh, being burnt out on Taika oh, Waititi a little bit, yeah, because yeah, of just that overexposure. Um, he's got a larger-than-life personality and a dry wit that can sometimes rub people the wrong way. And having made multiple movies over the last four years, it does feel a little bit like maybe 
you know, he's overstayed his welcome, and there's been some problems with that movie as well in terms of doing reshoots and replacing right, one actor right. for another. Um, specifically, the problematic nature of Army Hammer and replacing him with uh, Will Arnett. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there. But again, those things maybe a lot of people that are just like, you know, this is this is also a public festival. This is and open I, to the public. So maybe those people aren't looking at it that way. And I do think Taika is one of those directors that, yes, I think maybe if you go on the street and ask ten random people that like. You know, Spielberg's one of those guys. Taika, with doing the Thor movies and having that larger-than-life personality, he might be one of those guys that some people do uh, be able to, like, <laughs> recognize or know by name. Or voice. Um, yeah, and I think the... And Steve, I'll let you go into sex story. Um, uh, I think that, like, true story, sports, inspirational movie, that shit just always off all works. It does, yeah. It always yeah. works, and it's like, some of them are great, uh, no doubt, but... It's just, I mean, recently with Gran Turismo, like, I just feel like it's, it, it, you see that with an audience and it plays so well, and then I think in our sometimes bubbles, we can be a little bit more critical, so I do think that movie will play really well with an audience, even if maybe it reviews mixed, or maybe it'll review great, because, like, I, I don't know, I think Taika's one of those filmmakers now that does get kind of a divisive response from critics, especially, mm-hmm. but, um... I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I am kind of burnt out on Taika as well. Well, it, you know, it's interesting because, again, we were talking about the public. Yeah. And, and I think in a case like Taika, the audience for a festival like this, yeah. they're going to be looking for somebody they have a connection with. That's true, too. So whether or not they're burnt out on Taika, they're going to look at their list and they're going to go, oh, Taika. Yeah. Because, and there's a reason he's announced first. And it, so much of it, I think, and this is just my opinion, I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, you announce Taika at a year when you know there's no big big press stuff because everybody knows who he is yes he's opening it's like bang he's going to be here he's going to premiere the film and it is a fun film and it's something that everybody can immediately connect in some way before they even see it yeah Uh, plus it's already got a deal and so we know it's coming out in theaters but it's something that people will they like oh I know what that is I know what that's going to be and I think people will be looking for that Absolutely, and that's also a good point to make because it's it's almost like the politics angle. You yeah. go for somebody you're familiar with, exactly. right? instead yeah. of going with the unknown. You know, even if the unknown might actually turn out to be better. Yeah, you know, because at least you know what you're dealing with. I mean, I think that's a good way to transition into. Uh, I guess I guess the program is probably best described as the program for us, the platform program, which is like the film the film people looking at films, and the one that has a jury that uh, a fantastic lineup this year. With uh, Barry, Jenkins. Barry and Anthony Shim, and who's the third one? Yeah, who's the uh, okay? Why so I went through our notes on oh, oh Nadine uh, Labaki, yeah, she's the third juror from yeah, she did Capernaum and Where Do We Go Now? But I mean, it's 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 ten films from a diverse array uh, of filmmakers, and I mean one specifically who is kind of coming back onto the scene uh, for the first time in a while in Tarsim Singh with his film uh, Dear Jassy, and I mean just. From initial glances, is there anything in the platform program, like speaking to, you know, our people, the film nerds, as it were, the people who are probably listening to the show right now, is there something in that program that kind of stood out for you guys that made you go, I want to go see that? Well, you mentioned Tarsum, which I yeah. think, um, you know, having made movies like The Fall and yeah. The Cell, and his last movie was eight years ago, Immortals, with uh, Henry Cavell and, yeah. and Mickey Rourke, um, people are probably excited to see... Uh, a, an epic a spectacle that will be very much almost music video adjacent in right, some ways right. and super stylish and that bombastic nature has been something that a lot of people have really loved 
coming back to the theater, you know, in, in a world where the pandemic has put doubts on the theatrical experience. So I think seeing something like that in a theatrical context with a group of people that are very excited to see, you know, a master filmmaker like him come back and do something that is maybe unexpected but also familiar and, um, you know, tell an earnest love story in a very uh, externalized fashion, I think is going to be exciting for a lot of people. Uh, I have to shout out Nick Cage in Dream Scenario. <laughs> uh, the film that A24 has. Uh, and I, I think anytime Nick Cage comes to TIFF is exciting. Uh, him being in a platform movie that's uh, co-produced by Ari Aster about a man who starts appearing in people's dreams and, and, and goes viral for it. I don't know a ton about it other than that. It was shot in uh, Toronto and Hamilton, and then also the director of the film had a movie come out uh, last year and this year. It played the festival circuit last year, and it got released through Vinegar Syndrome on Blu-ray called uh, Sick of Myself. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Okay, cool. But yeah, so uh, I think I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm intrigued by Great Absence. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, I don't know the work of Kei Chikura. I mm. hope I said that pro- I said I said that pro- well, but uh, I hope you do too. But I mean, well, yeah, well, whatever. Can uh, it, Kai, if you're listening, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I was reading up on that one, and I thought it looked really interesting. And I'm actually really, really intrigued by the King Tide. Yeah, so am I. Keeping it's an eye on that movie, one. and I mean, yeah. it's, there seems to be a groundswell for that one as well. That it that is kind of unexpected. And, and this is, a, again, a, a, a program to keep an eye on because in years past it has had movies like Lady Macbeth, Jackie, Moonlight. Yes. You know, th- these are films that have launched careers, whether it be the actors or the filmmakers, and usually are some of the most exciting films to come into the festival. Was How to Blow Up a Pipeline? Yes, yes, last was year. Was that yeah. 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 Oh, and, wow. And also, you know, when, you, when you're looking at programmers as well, Peter Kuklowski talking about um, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, mm. programmed uh, that in platform, and he also programmed uh, Dream Scenarios. So yeah. if you're looking for, you know, certain programmers outside of their, their normal venues, you know, I think Peter programming uh, dream scenario is almost sort of like an endorsement to be like oh this might have been a vanguard movie yeah we talked about uh, that now that the vanguard's kind of gone yeah, yeah no, it's kind of show up in obviously different programs but platform being one and of i'm glad you guys brought that up because this definitely does feel like it's the program for films that don't can't quite find a home yeah yeah but still deserve to be seen absolutely and at least yeah. from my perspective i think that's what makes some of these the most interesting because i mean like you guys were saying I mean, like, with guys like Darius Martyr and, I mean, you know, Barry Jenkins and Ben Wheatley and so many other people who have come out of this program, it's definitely one for fans to keep an eye on if they want to take a chance. Like, yeah. if, one, if anyone wants to take a chance, this is the program, at least in my opinion, where it's going to be hard to go wrong. One right. of these directors might one day direct the Make 3. <laughs> <laughs> the really, really, really deep trench. <laughs> But I mean, I'm glad you brought up Peter too, because I mean, it, this feels like a good time to transition over to uh, Midnight Madness, which is the one that you know everyone always loves. I mean, I think uh, collectively, all three of us can agree we're a little too old for that shit now. Because we're giving <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, I, I love, I love the spirit. There's, is there's the spirit and the energy is there. Thing, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, it's my favorite thing at TIFF are those Midnight Madness screenings. But yeah, as I get older. Um, and 
those 8.30 a.m. press screenings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. It, it makes it harder and harder for me to do multiple of them. I try to, every year, still go to at least one. I try to, um, and we'll see if this year... But it do does, you it does it at midnight, or yeah, do you go no, to... I do. <laughs> no, I, I love... I usually try to see multiple, because I really think Peter's great at what he does, and I think the Midnight Madness lineup is always super interesting, because he... He doesn't do that classic midnight thing of just playing horror movies or things like that. He always has a mix of raunchy comedies or martial arts films and then some straight horror stuff and things like that. But, uh, yeah, we can get into it. And, I mean, there are some interesting directors like Herman Korean, Larry Charles, Finn Wolfhard, another actor-turned-director. Yeah. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, like, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, Kill, yeah. the, uh, the Bollywood sort of martial arts movie, which I think is probably going to be gonzo and a hell of a lot of fun. But, I mean... Is there anything you guys have standing out for you? I mean, I think Dick's the Musical is probably the one that people are really going to be... I think that'll be a really fun yeah. night kind of movie with a crowd, but I think we're both... Uh, it's an acquired taste, but yeah. Harmony Corinne um, is one of those filmmakers that if you have a chance to experience his film uh, at a festival, uh, having seen both uh, Spring Breakers and Trash Humpers at TIFF, um, it's like nothing else, especially when the crowd isn't sure what they're getting because you can feel the hostility in the room. So that's always fun. But because it is playing in Midnight Madness, we're talking about uh, Agro Drift. Um, I think there will be more people that will be responsive to it or at least know what they're getting into. Where you know you look at something like Spring Breakers, I think a lot of people that were excited to see a Selena Gomez movie at TIFF weren't expecting to get. Which you that know, was just in special presentations, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. to get sort of a weird avant-garde spring break, uh, psychedelic, uh, balls to the wall trip out kind of thing, and um, so yeah, and, and and the movie you know, starring Travis Scott and being shot completely in infrared is not an easy sell, but it is a unique experience, and and almost like the way that just talking about it, it sounds like it could be in wavelengths, just yeah. about how experimental it is. But I mean, there is no denying the uh, the party aspect of Midnight Madness, and I mean, oh, yeah. and given the size of the venue as well, I mean, just as a tip for anyone who is sort of going ticket by ticket, I mean, that's a good one you can rush because just in terms of capacity, there's a chance you'll get in. You yeah, know, now at the Royal Alexander. At the Royal Alexander with like 1,200 seats available, yeah. so it's like it's always uh, one that draws an audience, but it's one that. You know, will be accessible as well if you decide last minute I'm going to drive in that madness for the first time you know yeah, yeah. this is an interesting sequel to last year's show we did with you because it was the first year last year where that that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. And we weren't sure because they changed a bunch of the venues they got rid of Elgin and Winter Garden and they moved everything yeah. To yeah. Just, everything to King Street so not to get sidetracked but how did you guys feel about it all being centralized the new location for Midnight Madness did you feel like any of the Ryerson was lost because like I felt like it was a Pretty solid. I missed the leg room though. That was yeah, the, yeah. The that most. was nice. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, I would say, <laughs> the uh, like right Peter, right. Tiff, and the entire crew did manage to sort of recreate as much of the energy of yeah. it as they possibly could. And I mean, then they're definitely creating their own thing. tradition, yeah. sort of being there now. I'll give you one knock against it. I love, I love, like, I love that everything felt close. One thing I felt about it last year is it felt less of a city festival to me. Like and I said, like it, I mean, it's, yeah, it was yeah. far more convenient. It yeah. was far better. But the cool thing about having the Ryerson and the Elgin and the Winter Garden, it was sort it's of like, it right? was like Toronto's thing, yeah. right? And it's still Toronto's thing. So don't, here, that's not what I'm saying. But with everything in one spot, it's like it's King Street's. Thing. Yeah, and they slowly, because when we awesome. stacked stuff at Varsity and, and, you know, and we had stuff. Uh, well, even at yeah, Hot yeah, Docs, yeah. right? Hot Docs, it slowly kind of, 
compressed yeah. into where Lightbox is, which I, I, I agree with you that it's not a bad thing per se. Like, it is very nice when you cram in five yeah. movies a day that I don't have to be like, fuck, I gotta, yeah. I gotta be at the Ryerson in 20 minutes. That's right. Like, or seven. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, even when films played at Young and Dundas, like, yeah. it's, it's such a, oh, that it's, was a weird time, it's yeah. changed so much over the years. And, and I think part of it is just nostalgia as well. Well, like, for yeah. sure. You yeah, know, yeah, when, yeah. When, when you're sitting uh, in, in the Ryerson theater and, it, you know, Peter comes on the stage or uh, Colin Getty's in the past and, um, you know, that, that beach ball is flying up in the air yeah. and, and you have a crowd that's just feeding off of that excitement. It, if anybody listening to this has never gone to a Midnight Madness screening and they're, have always thought about <laughs> it, do it. It's, it's worth it. Like, even just for, for, for one movie, you know, it's, it's, it's like nothing else. And the crowd is great. Uh, there are so many stories. There's one that Matt and I always talk about, uh, Jason Momoa walking past us during uh, the Bad Batch. That was amazing. He was holding... Uh, a Brita filter full of water that looked in his hand almost just like a little cup. Um, <laughs> and we were laughing, and he just told us to shut the fuck up. But in a way that in was a funny, very, way, funny but way. Like, but he was carrying this Brita jug around and filling up these giant bottles of water. Yeah. Like, that man drinks a lot of water. He's got to stay hydrated. It's awful, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it's things like that that you'll always kind of hold dear, I think, you know, in like those moments. Getting back sure. to the lineup, it's great. Yeah. I Dick's the musical. Yeah, I'm very. Larry Charles is. I love Borat. I love Seinfeld. Yeah, I mean, part of the Midnight Man is term is almost the lineup as much as it is the movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, give me Boy Kills World. Yeah. <laughs> happened to my vein. Give me Boy Kills World. Yeah, let's let's see it happen. Is that the one? With Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah. 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 he produced it. I think. Yes, he did. How well yes, will he, he fare in this compared to Barbarian? <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, let's transition over to uh, Discovery, which is an interesting program because it's got twenty six films. And it's got a, a perfect line divide. Thirteen of the films are directed by women. Amazing. And I mean, it, which is obviously a fantastic thing. And I mean, just the opening night film of Discovery is yet another actor turned director with Patricia Arquette coming to the festival with her mm -hmm. film. And I mean, there's a couple of Canadian ones there too that have yeah. really caught my eye. Uh, things like Backspot and I Don't Know Who You Are, which are kind of piquing my interest as, as Canadian cinema. And I mean, I'm kind of curious... What do you guys think about not only sort of uh, this program, but just sort of the ability that a program like this has been able to get sort of perfect parity with like 13 out of 26 being uh, female filmmakers? It's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I love that we're getting closer and closer to the entire festival being like yeah, that. Exactly, and, you know, yeah. That's ideally what you want everyone to be represented. And, um, this program, I think, sums up what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, too, right? Like, we hope that this year is the year of discovery because yeah. they don't have yeah. those you know they do have but boom he's here all week everybody no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> i just think it's like it, it's a it's a perfect summation of, of what maybe the theming of this festival is is like yeah just go in read the descriptions like again i don't know a lot about these films right like no, that, and i mean none of us do that's yeah, kind of yeah. the, the point. point as much as we're the quote-unquote experts we're going in blind to a lot of this stuff and i've read the descriptions of each one of them i can't even like recall them but like I remember bookmarking them and, and trying to throw them into my uh, Tiffer which also shout out to Tiffer yeah shout out to yeah. Tiffer absolutely oh, Tiffer is the like lifesaver of Tiffer if you are planning a festival you know and you want to attend Tiff and you're buying a bunch of tickets use Tiffer it's a, we love a them a godsend and uh, so yeah I just think it's that that kind of festival this year where I'm going to probably try to throw at least uh, a couple of these on or if not a whole bunch and try to just uh, find something that I didn't know I was going to love so yeah, I think just looking at the list, um, you know, uh, the only one I'm kind of familiar with because it was picked up at, um, during Cannes 
uh, was uh, How to Have Sex, and that movie played quite well, and, you know, a new voice talking about sort of British culture in the 21st century, I think is going to be an interesting sort of uh, look inside how teens and adolescents act and behave, but in a way that doesn't feel like it's condescending in any way. So I think that's one of those movies that will be exciting to see it kind of be uh, reintroduced to the Fall Film Festival circuit in, in that way. But yeah, I, I think Matt's absolutely right in just talking about you know Discovery as a whole, where this festival is making a conscious effort to you know spread the wealth and show that you know there are filmmakers of all walk you know walks of life and backgrounds that are making really interesting stuff that maybe aren't big names but have something to say and so to have you know more female directors more non-binary filmmakers yeah, like yeah, these yeah. are things that are really important because those voices not only need to be heard but they're great filmmakers out there and they're great movies that aren't having that chance to be showcased so tip is a, is a great platform to use that and and to have those voices heard and what's, uh, I'm going to misquote it, what's Tiff's slogan? Isn't it changing the world one film at a time or something to that effect? It's something yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, something yeah, changing yeah. the way we see the world through film or something to that effect. Yeah. And I, that's one of the things I absolutely love about the festival is that they're actually trying to do that in some way subtly. Yeah. They're like, you know what we want to do? We want to open the space. We want to have more voices. We want to have, we don't want, just want to give you the same 10 filmmakers you've ever heard. Yeah. And we want to give you opportunity to hear from so many different people, representations, gender, sexuality, all that stuff. We want to give that to you, let, let people speak, and let's have those conversations around around their stories, I think is absolutely remarkable. And, you know, that's the best part to me about a film festival, is when you take... I mean, I, I like the big hype ones, too. I admit it. Yeah, I, of I course. get excited. Oh, yeah, yeah. I say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm excited about Dumb Money. I, I can't wait for that one. But there's something about stepping into a theater with a, th with a filmmaker you don't know and letting them tell their story to you, yeah, and it's and it 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 makes more sense, like from a cognitively in some ways with a film festival because on a week to week most people aren't saying it's Saturday night I really want to chill with this auteur that I've never heard of. Right, but a film festival there's a vibe of listen to the stories we've got to share with you, come and experiment with us. And I think that's really cool. And I love that about the discovery section as well. I love that you brought that up, man. That is absolutely a beautiful thing. And you couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I, I just one second jump on that is like I even for those big movies and small ones, festivals are great because yeah, for that exact reason of going in and you haven't been swayed by marketing yeah. for the most part. Some of these movies have trailers and things like sure, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But like that's the one thing I love. Are there actors you don't know either and things like that and you just go in completely fresh and aren't affected because even though we're critics and you go in as unbiased as, as you possibly can be like I still see trailers sometimes and that hype does come yeah. in and it's a whole thing of like going in without any of that baggage is so refreshing and one reason why I also love film festivals it's just like for big small movies they're all kind of on like an even playing yeah. field not really because some get big premieres at of course you know, yeah, yeah. Wales and things like that so you do have like oh that's playing there so that must be a a bigger movie in air yeah. quotes if no one can see me but um, anyways yeah I, I completely agree with that I think it's a great point I, I, I remember years ago stepping into Martha Marcy May Marlene yep. and I was like who is this young actor oh my gosh she's an Olsen yeah. and now she's Scarlet Witch but I'm like at the time she was just she was just stepping out right yeah, it yeah. was such a raw film I'm yeah. like this girl she has it yeah yeah 
and it's it's cool to see these stories sort of stepping. Yeah, we all I think have those stories. Like I remember seeing Hunger yeah. uh, at the festival oh, yeah. and thinking to myself, yeah, who is this filmmaker that can you know put two people in Michael Fassbender and Liam Cunningham, you know, sitting across a table from each other and having one of the most important conversations about Irish politics and sort of you know being colonized by uh, British democracy and saying so much and saying in the way that is not convoluted in any way whatsoever and it being an unbroken shot and then realizing oh man this is somebody who I need to pay attention to and seeing Steve McQueen you know over the years become one of the best filmmakers uh, of all time if you've never seen a Steve McQueen Q&A it is something oh yeah <laughs> that man does not hold back his punches and he does not tolerate fools and it's uh, awkward it. and amazing, and uh, it's great. And I love that you brought that up because, I mean, discovery is such a good word, especially for this program, but I mean for the festival in general, because when we think of cinema and things being cinematic, there are movies in these programs that allow us to appreciate and understand the economies of scale. And something like Hunger that you brought up, it is cinematic, it is huge, it is brutal, but it's, it's singular. Mm -hmm. It's so simple. And there are so many filmmakers out there that are capable of that talent, and when we get to see it on display in this festival like this, it's just a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Just before we continue any further, I'd like to remind everyone that this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Elevation Pictures and their release of probably one of the more interesting Canadian films that we've seen in recent years, Blackberry, the rise and fall of... Uh, of uh, the little company that could, and it's uh, again, it's available. On, it's one of the. It's it's a it's a nice piece of Canadiana, which I can't. I encourage people to go see uh, from uh, director Mac Johnson and uh, starring Jay Baruchel, Glenn Howerton, a bunch of other people. is available on Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, video on demand platforms now. But guys, let's continue on the train that is TIFF, and we're going to talk about uh, the Centerpiece Program, which was formerly known as the Contemporary World Cinema Program. Let's talk, like, what do you guys think of the name change? Uh, it's interesting. I, I, we were talking a little bit uh, off air about this, and, and I, I don't understand it completely. Um, not to crap on any of the movies. There's some great films that are in this, this program. Um, centerpiece is usually something at a film festival that you have, like, one film that's your centerpiece film. Not necessarily every film festival. It's everyone's different. Um... And I was saying maybe it's because, you know, we were talking about how the festival doesn't have a lot of glitzy movies this year. There's still some, uh, but that maybe they're trying to reinvent themselves a little bit to be more of a international film festival, which is in the title. And um, if they're trying to be more of that film festival where you're discovering films from new filmmakers, from foreign filmmakers, all those other things. So I, I, I assume that's maybe the name change, but then the other cynical part of me is like, oh, they didn't get a lot of those glitzy movies, so let's try to make this uh, sound like it is super important. And I'm not saying that it's not important. But right. You know what I'm saying with that, right? Yeah. Was it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how do you feel. You know, I, I feel the same way. I was a little bit confused because contemporary world cinema, like, it's it's something we, we go to when we're looking for new voices, but also, you know, people that have established themselves over yeah. the past few uh, decades or so and things like that. Filmmakers, things like so that. it's a really nice kind of grouping of new and seasoned filmmakers all, you know, getting a chance to share 
this program together. And like you said, you know, there are other festivals like the New York Film Festival where their centerpiece movie is one film specifically, and it's almost like a way to mark, like, okay, you have the opening film, the middle movie, and then the closing film, and everything in between is, you know, other programs. And so just to have the name change and then all of these movies that are programmed within it, it's 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 a little bit odd in, in that way. But again, there's a lot of really good stuff there. You have a Vim Vendors movie in yes. that grouping, yeah, yeah. which, you know, Vim Vendors is one of those guys who in the 70s up until, you know, the early 90s had one of the most incredible runs with the road films, uh, with Paris, Texas, Swings of Desire, you know, movies that are just incredibly profound and uh, emotionally moving, but also so stylish. If you think about like Paris, Texas and uh, The American Friend in terms yeah. of how Robin Mueller's uh, cinematography uh, comes together with that kind of neon look that very much now seems to be in vogue in a right, lot of totally, ways. Right, totally, yeah. Like, I think A24's whole aesthetic Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, it's, that's um, the wheelhouse, yeah. But, you know, he kind of fell off a little bit in, in the 90s and into the 2000s, and, you know, everything that we've heard at, at, at Cannes, Neon picking up Perfect Days, um, suggests that this is a little bit of a comeback, you know, for him as a filmmaker, and at least in terms of... Uh, uh, fictional narratives. No, and there are some interesting filmmakers in this program, too. Like I said, Vin Vendors, Raisuke Hamaguchi, who people would know from Drive My Car, yeah, yep. uh, Brian Helgeland, and I mean, uh, there's one that, I mean, I'm, it's Canadian, but admittedly, I'm dying to see this, but Humanist Vampire yes. Seeking Consenting Great Suicidal title, Person yeah. is the best title ever. Man. If one country does vampires better than the rest, it's Canada, because you look at uh, TV shows like Forever Night, right. or you look at Blood and Donuts. For sure. You know, genre and vampires in Canada can't go wrong. And that's, I mean, that's another thing to, to remind audiences of, to just, you know, contemporary world cinema, a.k.a. centerpiece now, is not necessarily a genre. It's yeah. just, it's just, you know, it's a diverse array of really sort of interesting, interesting stuff. And I mean, I'm always a fan of this program in past iterations. Yeah. And I mean, this program this year looks really interesting as well. And I mean, I'm just curious... Do you think this is another one of those ones that is, is ripe for exploration from fans? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, again, going back to the name change, I agree with you, Dave. I think that's completely accurate. But then when you have galas, special presentations, and centerpiece, yeah. those all sound <laughs> like they're the same program. Yes, so do. contemporary world cinema, I felt like, gave a clear idea of what An the identity. program yeah, of yeah. What the program was. Where I just, I think it kind of hinders that. Where then you go, oh, okay, maybe they, people are expecting big movies in here because it's called that or something like that. But I do think it lends itself, that program always did, of whether they're big filmmakers or big international filmmakers or it's still some more stuff that you might discover. But um, I think it will lend to that uh, as well. I just, I guess I'm so fixated on the change. It's, the it, that's exactly what, that, that's what I'm saying is the name itself is the odd part the films look great yeah i know they they're do. absolutely up for exploration i'm all for it but it just it with the title like centerpiece it sounds like it's competing with the galas and the special presentations just be but the clarity was nice it was nice yeah. like if, you know you knew what you were going into now will it matter this year i don't think so because people i think more than ever are going to be looking at the titles of the films and they're going yep. to be looking at that reading the descriptions but it, it's just odd marketing to me well it, if marketing. anything this is probably the year where the use of uh, 
creative and colorful adjectives and describing sort of the wide array of things Probably, are going on yeah. is like being used almost uh, almost in overdrive a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you're the thesaurus people because it's going to be a wild ride. Next year, um, it's just they'll have a program called The Best Films and yeah. the Most Interesting Films. No. Movies. 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 Memes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and just on that note, I mean, I think this is a good time to transition to yet another program. Again, probably one of my personal favorites. I've always been a big Doc fan, but I think we're going to have to start and talk about probably the elephant in the room because it's going to be the closing night film, Sly, the the story of Sylvester Stallone, the the Netflix story of the the life and the career of the man himself is closing out the festival. And uh, I'm wondering, as like as much as I want to see this film. There's also that curse of the closing night film, which seems to be looming over this as well, and it's making me wonder. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that. And is is he like producing it or anything either? Like, is it a pop piece? Like, it seems like it? it's a bit of a vanity project, yeah. and it's with Bruce Springsteen's uh, usual director or um, uh, buddy. It's, it's, it's uh, Tom. Uh, is it me? Is it? Uh, I yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Because um, it's it's yeah, I think it's just basically. Stallone's career is a fascinating one. It's a guy who has gone through cycles of stardom, starting out as you know a Roger Corman guy, and then obviously the Italian Stallion stuff, and um, you know making it with Rocky, and then becoming um, one of the most dominant movie stars of the '80s and into the '90s, and then continually reinventing himself. And in a way, he doesn't get a lot of credit for. The work that he does as a director and a writer and somebody that's actually very smart when it comes to how he projects his image. Absolutely. I think yeah. he is a, a, a really great renaissance man, and I know that sounds silly, but um, he knows what works for him, and he yeah. plays to his strengths really well, and he can be excellent in, in movies. And I think like you look at his performance as Rocky, like obviously now it's become almost a parody onto itself, the, the choices he made as as an actor in that role I think are just some of the most naturalistic and that character is just fully formed and even when you're watching you know the two Creed movies it's just it's it's an incredible piece of, of acting from somebody who's often considered to be a terrible actor and yeah. you know part of that is the stigma with like the Razzies and things like that but um, and, he, and he's made some bad choices let's be clear of that um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Like, what kind of documentary is this going to be? Are we going to really get into who he is as a person, or is this just going to simply be a greatest hits of right? Look at me and look what I've done. You know, the, Netflix also has the Arnold documentary right. series yeah. as well, so it kind of feels like this is the time for '80s beefcake, you know, yeah. um, muscle-bound heroes to get their their moment. So maybe next year, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> or, you know, one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, wa- I mean, I almost want a, a documentary that's more about the story of Arnold tricking Sly into doing Stop My Mom or My Mom Will Shoot <laughs> rather than sort of a career retrospective, you know? See, that would be a, an amazing short documentary in the same way that, you know, Werner Herzog ate the shoe after Earl Morris made yeah. Gates of Heaven in that way. So, yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Errol Morris because, I mean, I think I'm really looking forward to the Pigeon Tunnel that, that dives into sort of the life and times of John le Carre, and I mean, I'm curious. I mean, you and I have talked about this off mic, just about uh, how Errol Morris has really sort of evolved over the years, and I mean, there is a, a slew of really interesting filmmakers in here, and I'm kind of curious, for all of you, is there anything in the doc lineup that's uh, that's standing out a little bit more than anything else? Uh, 
Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Wait, there's a documentary on Mr. Dress Up. Yeah, How are we not all excited thing. about this? That's literally the same movie I was going to. <laughs> I grew up with Mr. Dress Up, so uh, I, uh, I'm kind of stoked about that. Yeah. As of this taping, we don't have confirmation if Casey and Finnegan are going to walk the red carpet, <laughs> so we don't know yet. Are they going to be in solidarity with the... Yeah. Are, they, are they honoring? Are they? Are they in solidarity with SAG as, as we are, of course? But yeah. Um, and then you brought up Errol Morris, who will always have a special place uh, in my heart because I met my wife at a screening oh, of that's... The Unknown Known <laughs> ten years ago. Uh, I was originally supposed to see a Xavier Dolan movie that got canceled. Nothing's um, more romantic than Donald Rumsfeld. And then yeah, and then uh, my wife, uh, she was snuck into the screening, and then uh, with our friend Adriana, um, who's at Cineplex now, and um, they were like, "Oh, we're gonna go see this documentary about Donald Rumsfeld," and I was like, "I don't want to see this." <laughs> but I was like, "This pretty girl's here." And I'm like, "She's going to see it, so I'm going to see it." And I remember. Um, no offense to that movie, it's, he's a very good filmmaker, but I remember like sitting in the hallway of Varsity for like an hour, because I didn't really even want to see it, but I wanted to speak to my future wife, so uh, maybe Errol Morris will always have a special place in my heart for that. Xavier so. Dolan, Donald Rumsfeld, and it's a weird combined to, to make romance. A weird, <laughs> That's what happens at Tiff. Thing. That's it's what happens at Tiff. Unfortunate duo of I think Earl Morris can't be taken for granted, and, and I think he has been a little bit, because when The Thin Blue Line came out, it was a movie that reinvented documentary as we knew it, in yeah. terms of, uh, you know, recreating sequences, and, and, you know, you saw it in America's Most Wanted and TV shows like that, where it was all procedural-based, but when he did it, it was new, it was cutting edge, it was fresh, and his fixation on the most minute details on a person's life or, you know, in the case of that movie, uh, a, a case where a man was on death row, it's just fascinating entering his brain and then seeing it projected on the big screen. I don't know if his sort of focus on an individual is as interesting as it is sort of, again, like a situation or an environment, Gates of Heaven, you know, yeah, yeah. a pet cemetery or Vernon, Florida with people living there and, and things like that. but. You know the fog of war and, and the unknown known, and um, they're they're still really worthwhile. And you know his style of filmmaking is some of the most interesting and, and uh, interrogative in a very you know divisive kind of way. And I think that that's always worth checking out. No, absolutely. I mean, you combine that with someone like uh, Alex Gibney, who definitely comes out of sort of that. Uh, who never sleeps. That he guy. never sleeps. And yeah. I mean, the, with the three-hour and twenty-minute uh, story of the music of Paul Simon. Yeah. For for music fans, that's going to be interesting. Did I, but I mean, interview Alex? Did I interview that year? <laughs> you may have. I remember <laughs> one of us. Yeah, that's when I right. For tribute, there was I forget. You interviewed a lot of people, and yeah. those were a lot of really great interviews. Uh, yeah, it was ten years ago. But like, I, and there's another I doc in here I want to talk about, which almost feels feels like a little bit of uh, uh, the circle coming to a close with uh, uh, "Sorry, Not Sorry," which focuses on uh, on the women who accused Louis C.K. of sexual harassment, and I mean for people who don't remember, I mean, there, Louis C.K. had directed a film, and it was playing Tiff, yeah, and he was on the brink of sort of hitting this next level, and then all this happened. Yeah. And I mean, I'm kind of curious, what are your reactions on uh, this playing the festival, almost to sort of put a bow on that, really, on that story? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, you know, a, 
a good thing that they're you know showcasing this story, especially. I mean, I remember that very clearly going to that premiere, and then it was right after that festival. Yeah. When everything came out, so yeah, I think you know, good on tip for programming it. I don't yeah. know much about it, so I'm. There uh, is a cynical side to that, though. I think there yeah. is a bit of damage control on Tiff's part, where they're trying to make amends right. for. Yeah, and, it, and it's not necessarily Tiff's fault in that regard. Well, no, of course not. Movie. Yeah, they, if they, they programmed played, it after. Yeah, then I that would. Like, yeah, it's not. Yeah. We're not. A, we're not in a Venice situation here. Um, <laughs> uh, so, it, yeah, I think it's it, it's an important movie, and also just in the sense of where we are in the Me Too movement um, or post Me Too movement, um, there's still a lot of work to be done, and um, you know. A movie we didn't mention, the Elevations releasing, um, called The Royal Hotel, which is Kitty Green's movie, who's also a documentary filmmaker who's done a couple narratives, uh, The Royal Hotel, and uh, The Assistant um, is looking at uh, sexual abuse and misconduct um, in a narrative form. So I think this year there's still an important discussion to have and not to forget about it in terms of you know workplace safety, but also just the complicit nature of people and you know, no means no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, just as a side note, if you haven't seen The Assistant, check it out on the uh, very, very, uh, very various streamers and video on demand platforms. It is, a, it is a unique and powerful film. I cannot recommend highly enough. But uh, just uh, let's transition out of that and move into, uh, well, the program that he always needs a little bit of love. The program that always tends to confound some people, and it's Wavelengths. But... It's always a personal favorite of mine because there's always some really interesting stuff in there. And I mean, this year there are filmmakers like Denny Cote out of Canada who always makes, I mean, sometimes very uh, assaulting, but all very compelling stuff. And and filmmakers like Kleber uh, uh, Mendajo uh, File from Brazil, uh, who I've, I've probably butchered your name, so I apologize, sir. But I mean, he did stuff, uh, he's done stuff in previous years like... Uh, 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 why am I blanking? What are the names? It's wavelengths. You, you, you need a minute to. I know to it's, it's, yeah. it's but uh, uh, Barakow and also uh, neighboring sounds. Those were his films. Oh yeah, those are great movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm curious. Diving into uh, wavelengths, oh, Angela uh, Shelinak, uh, Shelinak, or okay. Again, if I mispronounce your name, I do apologize profusely. David, do you ever listen to one of our preview shows? Okay. I, you guys do it all the time. I, all yeah, right, sure. fair enough. But I, it's yeah. You're like 99% better than either Matt or okay. I. <laughs> is is there anything you guys uh, are kind of looking to explore? Well, because... I wanted to talk about something outside of this that I found kind of interesting. Um, that there's nothing in terms of maybe there will be during the festival, but there's there's no tribute to Michael Snow. In, in, That's in, right. In, you know, his passing and kind of being the man who made the wavelength short, you know, and kind of what inspired this program to begin with. And I find that kind of uh, fascinating. Um, they the, agree. Yeah, there's a Romanian movie that I think uh, will... They're like a three-plus hour long. Yeah, uh, Don't Expect Too Much from the End of the World, uh, which right. I've heard yeah. is supposed to be quite uh, fun. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's quite the commitment as well. And, and I do think Wavelength is the one program that a lot of people are a little bit more concerned about, you know, venturing into unless there maybe is a movie star. Like, there was the one year where Hauha played with Viggo Mortensen. Right. And, you know, to have a, a movie star in a very experimental film, you know, that's that's the, the, the gateway into a, a, a larger, stranger, more abstract world. Yeah. Uh, but the Denny uh, uh, Coat movie uh, is playing... Uh, 
on an IMAX screen. So right. That's a very yeah, curious. exactly. I always yeah. love that. Yeah. That's uh, one of those things. Like, I, we always shout this out every year, but if you're going to the festival, there are a couple... I mean, try to see a movie at a venue that you don't usually watch movies at, like Princess of Wales, Roy Thompson Hall, but then sometimes you see TIFF movies on the IMAX screen. Yeah. It's always listed as Scotiabank 12. This is not and, formatted for And IMAX. it's in the giant IMAX screen um, with very good laser projectors and stuff too, so it's uh, it always looks great, but it's always wild. Like, I saw Moonlight on that screen, and like there's uh, Sound of Metal we saw there. The Lobster. The Lobster. Darren Aronofsky was in your lap. Like, a lot of movies that wouldn't have normally played in an IMAX cinema, and sure, it's not formatted for IMAX, but it's always... Uh, so if you get to see a Wavelengths movie in an IMAX theater... Or no, I mean, that's a great point. Like, if you get to see, you know, a Paul Simon doc or, yeah. uh, or a Wavelengths yeah. movie or something that wouldn't necessarily play in something like Scotia 12, it definitely makes for a different experience. Yeah. I and mean, I know throughout the years we've had like experiences going oh my god this is playing in 12 cool yeah. I'm just gonna go see it because it's in 12 I kinda go out of my way <laughs> yeah it's I like, usually I'm my, free and it's in 12 sure in my schedule I'll control F and hit Scotia 12 and just kinda go through to see what's playing in there and go that would be really wild to watch on that gigantic screen so uh, yeah I definitely that's a kinda insider tip <laughs> uh, for people who might not it doesn't say IMAX or anything but Scotia 12 Sure, yeah. And I mean, Wavelengths also has some short programs as well, and even one of them has films from uh, some pretty luminary uh, filmmakers like Chantal Ackerman, Pedro Costa, Jean-Luc Godard. So there's there's always something to discover in something like Wavelengths. It's not going to be that's cinema for everybody. That's yep. a theme it's like this Ontario. Year. Yeah. Yours to discover. Yours to, maybe that they're embracing that. <laughs> now, I mean, just to transition a little bit, because there is a classics program, and we've got to talk about the elephant in the room, the one that just got announced. Uh, yesterday of, of, of Talking Heads reuniting oh, yeah. Yeah. and then Stop Making Sense playing sort of in the IMAX in 4K it will be the ticket that none of us can get but it will be the ticket that everybody wants to get Yes. and I mean I'm kind of curious how do you guys feel particularly because I love the fact that TIFF and this is something they do year round is try to highlight retrospective cinema because I mean as obviously you guys know me well enough I've always been a fan, at least with what I do over at In the City, to try to highlight some of the older stuff. Because, I mean, again, if we're going to understand the newer stuff and appreciate the stuff that's yeah. happening and coming out, it always helps to watch the older stuff as well. I'm notoriously awful at going back and watching anything before the year I came out. <laughs> I came out. <laughs> I mean, it's technically true. It's fair. It is technically true, the year I came out, which is 1989. But, like, I, I know I've watched a lot of 80s. In Theaters Friday. Yeah. Um, he was a bomb, ladies and gentlemen. He was a box office bomb. It's something we talk about, too, of, like, trying to highlight. Like, I've wanted to do that on our show. Uh, you know, we do a review show where we mostly just cover new movies. Yeah. But I've wanted to sprinkle in older movies there and yeah like Mac and me yeah exactly um <laughs> I mean I notoriously hated the David Byrne movie that uh, American Utopia yeah. which also Spike Lee is going to be the moderator for this Q&A which is very exciting so I'm not well, a talking so. heads guy I'm not a David Byrne guy yeah. um but uh, you know I, I like that Tip does this they always do an IMAX event every year which yeah is exactly I'm yeah. a huge fan I mean we just talked about it <laughs> right before this but like I'm a huge fan of that format uh, of IMAX and whether it's something converted to IMAX or actually shot on IMAX, like, you know, uh, Nolan stuff, they brought him in for Dunkirk, uh, they brought Jordan Peele last year yeah. in, right? Like, those aren't necessarily old, those yeah, were from yeah, earlier yeah. that year, yeah. but I love those IMAX events that Tiff does, and I try to always go to them. Uh, this year, uh, I'll probably just let someone who, who likes the talking heads take that ticket, but um, I don't know if it's on the level of that, like, Taylor Swift 
conversations from last year. But <laughs> no, but so what you're I'm talking is heads. Is the same as it ever was? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> but Talking Heads has such a, a, a wide range in terms of generations of, of fans, and they continue um, to amass uh, a, quite a lot of influence in people that are in the music industry and in film. Um, I remember the first time watching that movie. I've never seen it on the big screen, and um, but what Jonathan Demme did with the concert doc, it just yeah. made it very fresh and alive. And, and, and just even watching it just on a TV screen, that, that Palm Blu-ray, it just felt so immersive. Like yeah, you were totally. there, you totally. could feel yeah, the yeah, sweat yeah. coming off yeah. of David Byrne's face as he you know jumps around on stage. And it was just capturing this band at the perfect moment in their career. Um, but it's also just gonna be really fascinating to see that Q&A because, you know, the, they haven't really talked to each other much yeah, in the last yeah. couple of decades, and David Byrne is known to be... that's why it's such a big deal. Right? Yeah, yeah, to yeah. be a bit of an egotistical maniac, and, and I love the guy, but, you know, if you're a jerk, you're a jerk. Yeah. And somebody joked on Twitter that it's like, oh, this is going to be 15 seconds long, and then it's over. Well, I guess um, people realize that he did recently apologize or something, yeah. that's why this is happening. Yeah. Something, but, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting, I love that you brought up Demi, because what he did with that film has been so influential with what... Uh, Vim Vendors did with things like uh, even like Pino or you know Buena Vista and just and what so many other sort of noted filmmakers have done when they've jumped into sort of the documentary form be it for you know rock or what have you it's allowed for that space to really get a little bit more dynamic even someone like Spike Lee like whenever he has gone into documentary space it hasn't been a standard documentary it's been Exciting, and it's been trying to do something different, which I'm so glad Tiff has been able to celebrate that now on the brink of the anniversary with the remaster and the uh, Criterion Blu-ray or the overpriced A24 4K that we're all going to order from the states at some point. But you know, <laughs> ninety dollars after shipping. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But when yeah. the concert doc is good, it's it's good. Like you think about yeah. you know, Gimme Shelter or yes. you know, yeah. Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz with the late great uh, Rod Robertson. Um, you know, when when you either get to hang out with people or experience something that is completely unexpected, or just capture a moment in time that is so perfect that afterwards it'll never be the same. It just makes a movie like Stop Making Sense make sense. Yeah. You know, and, and it's such a perfect movie. Um, you know, as much of a naive melody as that might sound. You know. So. Now, I mean, just to start putting a bow on this, we got to talk a little bit about shorts. Because it is such an important platform for young filmmakers and upcoming filmmakers, but also for established ones as well. Because, I mean, especially this year, there's people like uh, uh, Jasmine Mosafari, a Canadian filmmaker from uh, Firecrackers a couple of years ago. Right. Okay. There are actors like Riz Ahmed who are appearing yep. in, in short films. And, I mean, I'm kind of curious. From an audience okay. standpoint, like, people never necessarily give appreciation to the short film form. But now that we're kind of fully in the TikTok era, it almost feels like <laughs> this is the time for short Kids film. Nowadays, it, like it's time for short film to if shine. You love TikTok. You love short. <laughs> <laughs> you don't <like> short. <laughs> but I think there's wow. some truth to that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you, when you're TikTok when you're looking at a short, the narrative structure, it, it, it almost plays like a joke, right? You're you're, you're building to that punchline. Yeah. And with the shorts, I think 
maybe this year and maybe in, in the future even, you know, attention spans seem to have diminished. We, we've talked a lot about this on the show where we, we, keep asking, it's time. <laughs> we, we keep asking, are people okay? Because they're pulling out their phone during the oh, screening yeah. and recording on their device. I hope that doesn't happen during the festival, but who knows? Audiences um, are always usually pretty well behaved, but who knows now? Yeah, it just seems like it's... There's it's always going to be a little bit of it, but yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things that it's become unfortunately commonplace, whether that's, you know, for better or for worse, but it really does feel like if people want to take a chance, like again, going back to exploration and chance, this is one of those things where there are so many short filmmakers out there who are doing some really interesting and fascinating stuff, and I know Steve and I have had a chance to see a couple of them so far, yeah. that are, are that are trying to push the form to really kind of really interesting and different levels, because I mean, again, there are filmmakers out there who can do so much with so very little, and so much of that comes through in the short form. It's true. I choke a little bit when you compare it to TikTok, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> it just felt like so I wrong. do too, but I mean, it felt, I, yeah, it's... It hurt to hear that, but it, there is something about that. Because um, the narrative short form, I think, has sort of come in bloom, no pun intended, uh, over the last few years because of the emphasis on things, on social platforms like YouTube uh, and TikTok and all these other things that are just sharing short videos but are communicating stories in that time yeah. in such powerful ways. Um, again, I, it's interesting with, like, in some ways you would think, oh, that makes sense, so people are going to be drawn to shortcuts. But it's still one of those programs that it needs more love. Yeah. yeah. Because people look at it and say, ah, short films or Taika Waititi, what am I going to see? right? Because it gets dropped, but in some ways, you know, we joke. You joke about t TikTok should sponsor it, but in some ways, oh, I can't believe these words are coming in my mouth. But that's a real platform for some of these films to actually make use of, or should be not necessarily TikTok, but yeah. social media yeah. to show the to to give short form filmmaking the proper. Yeah, you almost wish like right right after the festival or something that these films would like premiere on yes, TIFF, TIFF's that's YouTube what I mean. or something like that. Um, I thought TikTok did do like a film festival with TIFF last year maybe or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there was, like, a there mini, was like, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's such an interesting thing. Like the next, I mean people say it and I worked for TikTok for a short period of time but like that next generation of, of people who are going to make movies it's interesting they're learning how to shoot and cut yeah. things on something like TikTok so and you might see that with younger filmmakers in this program. I'm not familiar um, with a ton of them but yeah the other grouping them together I understand why you do that but yeah. it's hard sometimes I think for people when they're looking at their schedule when you go an hour and a half watching yeah. or, or watching a bunch of short films or seeing a feature I feel like it's just people's nature to go well I want to see this movie um, even for critics like us too they want to like, kind of get their money's worth right they want to get that long narrative and, and have a feature length film and not necessarily pay for um, you know, four to five shorts that are grouped into a section necessarily. But I, uh, I, I do hope that there is like I would love to see something like that of like right after the. Maybe you don't want to cannibalize yourself either by going. Well, you could just wait and we'll put these online. Yeah, it's either. true. So, no, and, it's, and it's such a hard line to draw because on one end, yeah, you want to put them into a block so people will go and see them because all cinema, no matter how long or short it is, deserves to be seen properly in the theatrical experience. But at the yeah. same time. It's such a great platform for some of these up-and-coming filmmakers that you almost want to see the festival maybe put them online for the last few days of the festival. Yeah, or I would love to see them like 
I, I, you don't want to make things longer than they already are because I know it's so convoluted with yeah. red carpets, but like <coughs> being preceded by like a short b- before a big premiere, I think right. would be really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But then, I don't know, that's how you kind it of does like make things longer Trojan and horse it into difficult. people's eyeballs because you're like, oh, you came to see the Taiko ITT movie. Now watch this short that kind of pairs well with it. Like, which might uh, be better. Which I, I would love. <laughs> it might be better. I would love, but can you, some of these shorts are 30, 40 minutes long, yeah, right? It's you true. can't necessarily uh, do that for, unless maybe a movie's an hour and a half, but then you can have people waiting for half an hour for something they didn't come to see. Uh, that guy agrees. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, I am guilty of not seeing enough shorts at TIFF, and the only time I do is like when a PR person reaches out and goes, right. I think you'll really like this. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Watch yeah. it. And then I usually do, because during the festival, uh, the unfortunate reality sometimes too is like we do a podcast. The podcast has to be sort of broad. Yeah. It doesn't have to be broad, but if you want the most people to get yeah, to yeah. listen to no, it, no, totally, yeah. Uh, you have to cover Joker uh, yeah, when it plays yeah. the festival and things like that. And you kind of have to go, I, I have to miss out on this because of. Because of that reason, but there are when there's an actor like Riz Ahmed. I was just going to say when Riz Ahmed is there, it gets yeah. eyeballs on the program. Totally. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah. And not I every short him. filmmaker can. I know that's do true. That. No, but he I, won an Oscar recently for producing a short. Yeah, and yeah. I, I love that you brought up sort of the 30, 40 minute short too, because that transition is into sort of the In Conversation series, yeah. which has someone like Pedro Aldemovar, and his short yeah. who is playing and has this 30, 40 minute short with Ethan Hawke and yeah. Pedro Pascal. And I mean, are you guys going to try to do any of that stuff? And I mean, I know even Mongo here in Canada is, is pushing their that short as almost like some, having a bit of a release. And I think that's kind are of... Are they releasing that theatrically? The, uh, it seems to be. I mean, I, no one seems to be answering what the actual plan is. But I mean, it's in the system, as it were. You know what I mean? Right. So I mean, maybe they're going to be putting it at TIFF or pairing it with something else. I mean, yeah. The human voice, I mean, obviously this was during the pandemic as well. Yeah. Ended up playing on Crave. Yes. Canada, yeah. So kind of, and that's his. That's the, the short that he made with Tilda Swinton. Yes. Yeah. 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 Maybe something like that will happen yeah. again. I, I can see that. Because yeah, that movie has it in certain parts of the world, which would track, so, right? Yeah. Um, which again, they it may be just jumping onto movie, which again, yeah. and it's there's all so many pictures classics in the U.S. Yes, that's so right. Are yeah. they the only way you can see it is if you go to the in I do believe so. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, how, that's, that's how they get you. It's like a timeshare. That's how they get you. There's also a P and I maybe. There might be. Yeah. I actually have it right here, I was but it doesn't matter. That's still inside baseball for people. But, but it is um, a great program, especially like when you think of someone like Martin Scorsese, who's talked about this, you know, many, many times. That you know, short films are the chance for filmmakers to really experiment with yeah. form and find their voice within the confines or structure of something that is, you know, less or around a half an hour in length, and um, you know. Nowadays, I feel that there is a little bit more clout towards it because you, you are seeing new generations, you know, interface with yeah. technology and, and creating shorts, but also, again, talking about Scorsese, um, you know, that Criterion short collection that came out of his. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's where he came from yeah. as a student filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, like, on top of that in conversation, well, there's going to be a bunch of industry stuff, but... Let's put a bow on sort of all the programs and talking just a few minutes about primetime because it feels like to me, this is the first year where primetime feels natural. Because I remember in past years, it's be like, oh, there's three, there's four. Now it's like they've got nine. And it feels like, 
having television in a film festival is now more commonplace. And I mean, I'm kind of curious, because we are film guys, but at the same time, there has been such a breadth of fantastic uh, storytelling in the TV medium. How do you guys feel about sort of TV finding its place in a big film festival like TIFF? Do you want to go first, or...? Steve? <laughs> I... Go ahead. I don't know. Like, I... I'm a big TV guy, too, and I do think that line is very blurred, and, like, good, you know, I hate using this word, but good content is good content. Right. And I'm like, yeah. you know, a good story is a good story is a better way of putting it, where I'm like, whether it's, you know, I think when TV lends itself the best, I like when it leans into the episodic nature of television, and I don't love when something just feels like a long movie cut yeah. up into, you know, one-hour bits for, for nine episodes right, right, or right. six episodes. Um when it comes to it playing tip, I've never really cared about prime time. Yeah. And, and that goes for this year as well. Not anything against anything playing in it. Uh, you know, they they have some big, again, in air quotes, uh, stuff. But I the only time we've ever gone is to see uh, the couple episodes of Black Mirror. And I think my biggest thing with it is Black Mirror, an anthology series, makes more sense to me to see at a film festival because I'm getting two yeah. short films. Right, almost. yeah, right. Where yeah, a yeah. lot of the stuff that is like 22% of the story, I just find I'm like, I, I don't know if I need to see that at a film festival. It's like that's the most marketing, <coughs> the most, uh, you know, trailer uh, sure these, the, of, these two episodes of this Korean show I just watched are fantastic yes. I'm never going to get to where's it playing here things yeah. like that like yeah Netflix has a, a show from Sean Levy and, and you know and there's other things like that um, uh, Lulu Wong has a show uh, that's playing and you know uh, we loved her last film as well but like I just to me I go I'd rather just watch this when I'm able to see it because I see two episodes now and I'm waiting months right like, at least in right. the movie you're seeing the whole thing yeah unless it's Dune part one and then yeah. uh, which isn't even a movie let's uh, be real here it's uh, a prologue uh, so anyways I, that's my hot take on prime time I guess I, I understand what you're saying Dave yeah. but it feels like it's a more fully realized it has more yeah uh, uh, things playing in it this year but I personally unless you're showing me uh, a whole mini series or uh, something like that an anthology series like I, I just sometimes I don't I don't see the point yeah I'll, I'll just quickly say because I'm, I'm agreeing with Matt so I, I won't add too much more to it but it, it does feel like you know the idea of television being more like film and film wanting to be more like television that novelty is kind of worn off at this point yeah and we kind of get the idea where television is more cinematic you know it's it's a novelized approach to things but there is something about this program where you look at it it's like yeah there's a lot of stuff there to discover and there's some interesting filmmakers who you know move along like you just said with the expats um is there but you're not getting a fully realized experience unless it is an anthology and so when you're watching it you're just thinking to yourself I don't know. I, I, I just think that, like, I'd rather watch this director's next movie. You yeah. Know? Like, there are two... Yeah. Or the whole show. I'm yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, like, there, yeah. There, there are two series by Nicholas Wending Refn, and, and I like him as a director, but I haven't watched one episode of either show, and it's like, I'm probably never going to watch them. And it's not because of, like, I don't want to, it's I don't have time. And, um, because I really don't have time. And, uh, 
like even for movies, that's such and a. You're just a movie guy. Yeah, But I, but I will say this: uh, one of the great experiences I had, but this was it was a truncated thing. It was, and, and speaking of uh, Martha May, uh, Marcy Marlene, is Sean Durkin had Southcliff, which they oh, played yeah. Yeah, that as right. a yeah, film yeah, yeah. version. And watching that was an amazing experience, and seeing it on, it was also at Ryerson, um, changed my way of how I saw like a TV movie could play. But, but again, also, that was something that was in like miniseries format, because yeah. it was like the two parts, so I love, like, while I enjoy the idea of them putting prime time, I'm also with you, I'm like, let's put it to those ones that are going to be two, three parts. Yeah. Something that's yeah. going to be a special event rather than a quote-unquote series. Yeah, if you want to commit to the three hours, then yeah. you know, for a miniseries, and sort of see if we keep going. It's okay. You guys pretty much saying what please I'm saying go. anyway. Please go. No, no, no. Please go. Yeah. No, but that, honestly, because I've seen some, I, I've done a couple of primetime ones, yeah. and they're good stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it There's is. There's yeah. nothing, like, actually, they're, they're actually great stories, and then they're over. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, but you could, ca- there's, there's, uh, this is a five-episode series. We're going to show you two. And it's, it's frustrating as a viewer because it's like it's almost like get just getting teased. Yeah. And it's it's not even like obsessive completionist. I just you you've told me the intro of your story and you've left it there, but the lines have been blurred. As all, you guys have already said this so well, I don't need to go into it too deeply. But over the last ten or fifteen years, we've really seen those lines change. Television's gotten more money, and they've yeah. tried to make it give it a, a greater sprawl and make it feel like it's something you should see in a cinema. So I don't have a problem with this existing. And like I said, and they show you quality stuff. It's just the presentation of it that drives me mad. Yeah. Is this, you know, if it was, like you said, a special presentation of three episodes and each one is uh, 48 minutes each and this is a full arc, great. Let's see that. And and you can choose maybe if they're separate screenings, you see all three or you see, if you don't care, but give me the option to see the whole story. No, and I mean, and I mean, Tiff has done that not during the festival, but I mean, with something like uh, uh, Berlin Alexander Platz with Fassbender, and I mean, to to have that experience was great, but I mean, I remember last year, I mean, I mean, as as much of a maniac as he is, I was looking forward to seeing Von Trier's Kingdom Exodus, and I went to see the first two episodes. And no, I have not fired up movie to watch the rest yeah, of the damn show yet yeah, because so I just haven't had the, the time. Yeah. Imagine Tiff had a program called Coming Soon and they showed you the first act <laughs> of, movies, of movies coming out next year or something. I'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. And I know in, in conversation you, you get that sometimes where someone will bring... You know, we went to a Disney event the other day where they yeah. showed us 20 minutes of a movie. Like, I, I understand that. but like, It's a promotional a, tool. Yeah, yeah. in a film festival, I just, especially because it's, it's TV, I'm like, I, I'm all for it. I love television. The Bear season two and season one is like some of my favorite storytelling uh, in anything um, this year. And there are other years where... Uh, you know, Bo Burnham's Inside, or which is more of a film than, yeah. than a TV yeah. Or yeah. even Twin like, Peaks The Return. Is it film? Is it television? Right. Is it David Lynch? Who knows? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it, it's worth seeing. What it is, who the hell knows. Yeah. But, yeah. So anyways, our hot takes on primetime. Yeah, no. Cancel primetime. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, before I put a bow on all this, I would like to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by friends over at Elevation Pictures. And their theatrical release of My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, which is going to be in theaters on 
Friday, September 8th. If you're not attending TIFF, if you love those movies, as you can watch the family all go to Greece for hijinks and God knows what else. I really don't know what the movie's about, <laughs> but it's coming out and people are going to love trilogy. it. So we, please go complete the trilogy and watch the film. But guys, we've, we've talked about TIFF until we're hoarse, more or less, sitting on this lovely patio above the streets like of Toronto. <laughs> Final thoughts, hopes, dreams, what are you looking forward to? What are you hoping to not have a stroke over? What are you hoping to survive? At it's the stuff end of the like day? this that I'm just I'm excited. Like even though I, if we started off both you know our podcast that we did the other day and this one, kind of going like I don't know if I'm excited or there's not enough to be excited about. Like talking to you guys and talking to Eric and uh, on our show and, and and doing the we went to an event this morning that highlighted all the yes Canadian, the Canadian stuff absolutely. Um, you know I, I always I it is my I say this I'm like a broken record at this point every single year but it is really my favorite time of the year like my year kind of ends and begins at the beginning of September every year uh, because everything's leading to it and I also feel like it's a start of the you know fall you know award season and different things like that too so uh, I absolutely love it and um, I'm, I'm very very excited to eat nothing but M&M peanuts and cherry coke zero and watch a bunch of movies so I'm, I'm stoked so no amen to that and I mean at least I mean from my perspective this almost goes back to what I said about Midnight Madness where part of the fun of the lineup yeah. Yes. This is not a year where we're where we're desperately trying to get into something. Yeah. We're we're looking forward to lining up with other people. Going, what so like, hey, what you see? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What have you, what have yeah. you liked? You know. That's how I found the out communal how, experience. Yeah. How to blow up? <laughs> yes. Yeah. How to blow up a pipeline last year was that movie yeah. where I like didn't even have it on my radar really, and then I was talking to multiple people in lineups that was like, no, fucking go see it. It's so yeah. good. And uh, it ended up being my favorite film at the festival, and we saw it right at the end last year. So stuff like that. And on a side note, How to Blow Up a Pipeline is available on DVD from our friends at, here at Elevation Pictures. So <laughs> is it? Go pick it up! I promise I didn't even do that. <laughs> this is corporate propaganda. <laughs> but I mean, boys, as always, just thank you for the time. Thank you for getting to to do this. Because, I mean, again, as, you know, as much as people think we're all in each other's hip pockets during a festival like this, we really don't get a chance to see each other and talk <laughs> we because we're all going in 14 some, different directions. Drink my favorite yeah. coffee from Starbucks. Yeah, exactly, at like 10.30 in the morning, and yeah. <laughs> I, I think maybe one of the other things, just to kind of reiterate, um, you know, please, please pay the actors. Pay the actors. And the writers. Pay and, the writers. You know, like, get, let's get the strike over with. Let's Studios get the strike have too much over, money. Yeah. They're, not, they're not in poverty. Let's be real. Come on. You know. Pay the actors, pay the writers, let's get the strike okay. over with. And also, let's remember what the theatrical experience is about. Yeah. Because as much as we all love sitting at home and firing up our Disney Plus or our Netflix TikTok. or our movie or our TikTok or our YouTube or whatever the hell else it is, there is nothing that trumps the theatrical experience. And I mean, I think that's what a festival like TIFF, at least from my humble perspective, is really all about. Because these stories deserve to be told with captive audiences absorbing them taking them in and appreciating them, appreciating them the way they were meant to be seen but again guys thank you for the unique pleasure of sitting down on this beautiful patio which i'm sure we'll be back on several times during the festival as we do interviews or go to various events but uh you know what enjoy your tiff and if you're out there listening please enjoy yours thanks man Boom. thank you thanks dave i need a key light <laughs> 
And don't forget to, to visit our friends over at Bay Street Video for all your DVD, Blu-ray rental, or purchasing needs this summer, as they are still open for curbside and some mailing delivery as well. Over at 1172 Bay Street, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, you can give them a call at 416-964-9088. That's 416-964-9088. Or send them an email at baystreetvideoto at gmail.com for any of your DVD and Blu-ray needs.